Like, can you just for once tell me clearly what's right, what's wrong? Is it okay to be gay? Is it not okay to be gay? Is it okay to be non-monogamous? Is it not? Can you just point me somewhere so that it's clear so I don't have to think about it and worry about it? And there's just so few avenues of life that actually give us clarity about anything, unfortunately. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating... If you enjoy sucking at communication... And you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But... If you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're going to be asking the hard questions about how to reconcile being queer or non-monogamous or really anything non-mainstream with the Judeo-Christian values that are such a part of Western upbringing. Whether Christianity has played an important role in your life, it is so deeply embedded in our Western culture that it's worth trying to understand it. Uh, and since the three of us are completely unqualified to talk about that, we're being joined today. Especially me. <laughs> we're being joined today by Brian G. Murphy. He is an activist, an educator, a certified relationship coach, and who grew up evangelical Christian like Dedeker and myself did. Um, he grew up evangelical Christian in the Maryland suburbs of Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. So uh, governmental. And for the past so decade... <laughs> has been engaged in faith-based activism and social justice work. He also co-founded Legalize Trans and most recently partnered with Father Shannon T.L. Kearns to create QueerTheology.com. He's spoken about faith, sexuality, gender, and justice at dozens of colleges and conferences across the U.S. and taught a course on the intersection of Christianity and polyamory this past summer. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yay. Yeah. So when we started doing Drunk Bible Study, which is a little over a year ago now, um, I came across Queer Theology online. I came across your podcast actually first and then the site through that. And oh, awesome. um, you know, I read a few things and listened to a little bit and signed up for the mailing list. And then this last, was it winter, I guess? Uh, or no, it was last summer. Yeah. Last, in, the, in the summer, yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. Early summer. Yeah. Right. Then then last summer uh, is when I saw on the mailing list that you were doing the Christianity and polyamory course. And that's when I reached out and we talked on the phone a little bit because you were like, hey, I'm actually going to be talking about some multi-amory stuff in that course. <laughs> <laughs> so that was cool. Why, thank you. Yeah. yeah. You're like a great resource to refer people to. Yeah. So, so, oh, I, shucks. so I signed up for the course and joined and uh, it's been great. But I was wondering if you could start out by telling us what led you to create Queer Theology, the site or the podcast, like which came first and kind of what, what led to that? Yeah, it all came kind of at around the same time. The very first thing that we did was um, a course on how to read the Bible queerly, um, like from a queer lens. And then uh, after we did that a few times, we created a podcast to sort of go along with it that was free, you know, for everyone. And so every week we take a queer lens to a different passage from the Bible for the like theology nerds out there. We follow the lectionary, the lectionary um, yeah, yeah. switch churches around which, the world 
like pick a different passage every week. So it's like it's a set thing that like all Roman Catholic churches are reading the same passage every like on any given Sunday. Uh, and all really churches. Yeah. And so is it like, like is it by a date? Yeah, like, so there's like a on this like date. Yes, yeah, so like for every Sunday, there's a set of like um, a Hebrew Bible reading, a psalm, a gospel, and then a like Christian Bible that's not the gospel. Um, and so like the Protestant churches that are, you know, like Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, some of them follow it um, and some of them just do their own thing. They don't have to do it if they don't want to. So and, we okay. bring our like queer take to it every single week. <laughs> And Very cool. <clears throat> the lectionary is a three-year cycle, right? Yeah, it's a three-year cycle, so it repeats itself. Um, but we only do one. Generally speaking, we only do one verse per week, so there's like oh, I see a lot to cover. Got it. Um, and so, like sometimes we, sometimes we like repeat passages because it's like, well, it's been three years. We have something new to say to this. And if it, growing up evangelical Christian, one of the things that I was taught was that there's like one correct way to like understand any given text uh and so you would think like oh well we like did it once it's done Mm. um Mm. but actually there's like you bring a lot of different (laughs) perspectives texts have different meanings and you know it's oftentimes even intentionally the author is like trying to convey multiple different things and so um we find even when we do the same passage like a year or three years later that there's something uh new to say about it That's really interesting because I've definitely found as we've been playing around with recording drunk Bible study that um, we'll come across some sort of ambiguous passage where we pause and we're like, huh, what is this? What does this mean? And I'll remember from my upbringing, I'm like, oh yeah, the pastor said this. This is what it means. This is what it means. Okay. This is the meaning. There you go. We got the meaning. Now let's move on. Um, And I still have that drive very much in me of like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is covered. Check. I got the answer. I can tell you what it means. And um, it was really an adjustment for me, even though I haven't gone to church in decades now. It was still an adjustment to even open up to that idea of, yeah, there's many, many different lenses that we can put on this and many, many different potential meanings behind this. It's not necessarily empirical. Yeah, a big part of... Sorry. No, not at all. Yeah, just and also there's a lot of different translations. And so the Mm -hmm. meaning can be slightly adjusted through each translation as well. Yeah, when when we were talking before the show, you know, I was saying to Emily that sometimes it's helpful to not have any back background to it because a lot of the work that we do at queertheology.com is like helping people unlearn <laughs> what they've learned yeah. before they can start learning something new in its place because you know we have people that have been out for for years and like are affirming of themselves but then still get caught in well the bible says this the bible says that and it's like well hmm. it might not say exactly that thing that your pastor told you when you were 14 you know mm, yeah that's mind-blowing to me <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, one well, of our yeah, evangelical churches like make you believe that like they're the only like right way to understand things and everyone else is like not real and that's just like bullshit <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's too bad yeah <clears throat> Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I was going to say, like, with this collaboration that you're doing with Father Shannon Kearns, how did that come to pass? Yeah, we met through a mutual best friend back when he used to live in New York City and when I used to live in New York City. And he moved to Minnesota and we stayed kind of in touch and would just like G-chat a bunch back when G-chat was a thing. (laughs) Uh, And then started doing like weekly Skype calls just to like check in on like our various projects that we were working on. I was working for myself um, and he was like in between jobs and 
one day we were talking and he's like, I just realized no one owns queertheology.com. Should I definitely You should definitely get that. So we, we like bought it on that Skype call and then sat on it for six months and we were like, what are we going to do with this? Uh, and then had this idea to teach this online course on how to read the Bible from a queer perspective. And so like made a one page website, did that, it sold out. We we're like, great, let's do more of this. Um, and then just sort of over the past six years have been like incrementally growing in terms of like what we see the community needing, the audience needing, and sort of building what we wish we had when we were younger and sort of like being responsive to stuff that's happening in the world. Because if like if this stuff doesn't have something to say about the here and now, then like what's the what's the point? Yeah. Um, so yep. Yeah, <laughs> so we've just been iterating true. ever since. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's uh, there's some similarities there with the multi Amory origin story of yeah. noticing that a particular URL was not purchased yet <laughs> and just kind of <laughs> hopping on that right away. Um, I love it. Over the course of the six years, I imagine you've gotten probably a mix of reactions and response to that. Did you? I mean, I would I would think that you'd be getting more positive response than negative, or else I would think that this wouldn't still be happening. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think you know the overwhelming response has been positive, and it's been from a mix of like adults who grew up Christian and aren't anymore, or still are, and it's been helpful for them in their process. It's been from like parents of LGBTQ kids um, or adult children that are trying to figure it out. Um, sometimes that are like. We've gotten messages from from parents that are like, my child just came out to me as like bi or trans or whatever. And I like my religion. I think that it's wrong, but I like don't that like seems not right. So I'm like just researching and trying to figure this out. Um, So it's the whole the whole spectrum of like people who aren't affirming and maybe want to be people who are affirming queer folks, non-queer folks. Um, And then, of course, we get like hate mail all the time. (laughs) Um, Right. But that's. Like I've been doing this work for so long that it's like, well, okay, like <laughs> you don't even care you, at this point. At this point, yeah, it's, it's like yeah. It's a Westboro Baptist Church called me a crybaby pervert. So at this point, like, what do you got? <laughs> uh, I'd put that on a T-shirt, honestly, <laughs> yeah. if I were you. I mean, to get to get the attention of the big boys, I guess, as it were, it's like that's a little bit of a badge of honor. Uh, know, you know, right? if it weren't also wrapped up in like death threats and exactly. and all kinds of terrible triggering stuff. Um, wow. So let's let's bring since you recently did this course about the intersection of Christianity and polyamory, um, let's bring polyamory and non-monogamy into the conversation. And let's start before talking about the Christian perspective on it. Let's just talk about the intersections of queerness and polyamory, um, but also the important distinction that they're not the same thing necessarily. For sure, yeah. You know, I I. I, so I did this cross-country activism thing called the Soul Force Equality Ride, which visits college and universities across the country that discriminate against queer folks to be like, this shit's fucked up. What are you doing? And some of them are like, this is oh. great. Come on and let's talk about it. We'll have like Bible studies or lectures or group discussions. And some schools are like, this is our property line. If you cross it, we will arrest you. Um, wow. So you're like, okay, we're coming. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh boy. So, so I, I did that for two months and that was a whole mix of like, really intense christians to like really intense like vegan polyamorous atheists um and so that was like my first introduction to non-monogamy i was just like a buttoned up evangelical christian kid that had like just come out a few years prior uh and i was like it's okay to be gay because god loves me but like you still have to be a christian in order to like get to heaven and blah 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 Mm. all that terrible toxic stuff 
and so I sort of like I got this like first tease of an open relationship or polyamorous relationships. And then um, so like so then I like when I, I was dating my boyfriend for a few for two years and we were considering opening up our relationship and I went out searching for resources and like found all the usual suspects like the ethical slut and um stuff like that and this was eight years ago so there was even less of it and i was realizing that like queer folks have been doing non-monogamy and polyamory and open relationships for like a really long time and also i was finding like formal open and poly books and articles and websites and communities had queerness in it in that like there were like usually some bi folks definitely by women sometimes mm -hmm. by men but it was very much this sort of like straight ethos to it um and like by men who were like in relationships with women who would like sometimes play with guys you would like rarely I, I rarely encountered like lots of groups of like like butch lesbians <laughs> all in a poly space or like gay mm. men right so there's this like we're both sort of doing this thing and there's some overlap there um but it's not all one big happy queer poly family and so that sort of led us to like how do i find the poly resources that speak to like my experience and mm. people that are like me and where i like feel safe honestly right Right. And so and so was that kind of part of like what inspired you to kind of start creating some of your own resources? Yeah, I mean, I, it started I sort of informally just like became and like, I don't know, eight years ago, stuff happened so quickly. Like I was the first we were my boyfriend. And I was like the first open couple that any of our friends knew. Mm. And I think like now a wow. lot of our friends are in open polyamorous relationships. Right. And so I just sort of became like the guy that people would be like, oh, like, tell me more about this. Or and it started with like, you right. can never do that to like, so how does this how does this work? Um, right. Interesting. And I, for like, for whatever reason, just like gay men in particular weren't finding resonating with um, like poly resources and i went to like some like poly meetups and poly cocktails and it was like nice and fun but there was definitely this sort of like a little bit of an othering experience mm -hmm. um so so i've sort of like been poly for a long time and had to just sort of like do this sort of informal networking with friends and whenever i would find like a person or a couple that were like also not just like in a don't ask don't tell open relationship but like actually poly be like oh you're like one of us you like <laughs> you get it um so both with career theology and with sort of on my own on my own work on like youtube sort of being like creating the change that i wish to see in the world and yeah. creating resources that i wish uh that i had yeah definitely so let's sprinkle the christianity back into it with queerness and the queer community in general and then also with polyamory and the polyamorous community in general how do you feel like christianity and i mean just to say that makes it sound like such a monolith but what do you think like the general christian treatment has been of both of them and how have they been different yeah i mean i think like the mainstream the loudest most vocal type of christianity in the u.s and, and europe right has been like very anti LGBT and like very like anti poly. I think that it's tricky to say that there's like a Christian perspective on anything. Like even if you read the Bible, there's like not a Christian sexual ethic or a Christian understanding of marriage. There's, you know, polygamous marriages in the Bible. There's monogamous marriages in the Bible. 
Paul says that everyone should be celibate and single for their whole lives, that like singleness is the, the Christian ideal, right? And so... Sorry, spoilers this, for me. I'm like, Emily's what? reacting because we haven't gotten to that part <laughs> oh, in the Bible. Yeah. That's a, a ways forward. But like... Yeah, I'll, I'll like, probably forget about hear, it between now and Christians being like, everyone should really be single. That's like what God wants for you. But that's also in the Bible. And so... Huh. Fascinating. It's a lot of picking and choosing. Yeah, there's a lot of picking and choosing. And I think like they accuse us being queer people or poly people of picking and choosing. But I think like evangelical Christians and conservative Christians are like the uh, really big picker, cherry pickers also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I, I thought it was interesting when you were mentioning earlier about uh, doing the uh, cross country thing, talking at different campuses and, you know, you were saying for yourself, you were like newly out as being gay and, but it, it sounded like still the idea of non-monogamy was still a little bit like, whoa, but that's kind of out there. So I think that that's interesting too that, and I've noticed this with a variety of things, but it's like maybe uh, someone could re-examine their faith based on an experience they've had, whether it's about their own sexual attraction or about non-monogamy or something, and they'll they'll find a way to maybe reconcile that for themselves with the Bible, but still all the other things that they were taught were bad are still, they're still, they're still bad. You know, they still have that. Yeah, we, when we were doing the, the Christian and polyamory course, I got an email from someone who described himself as a gay man and said, like, how dare you do this course on polyamory when like the Bible is like so clearly against it. And I was like, dude, the Bible is, much more clearly like <laughs> pro non-monogamy than it is pro gay like i don't know huh. what mm. world you're living in but like, yeah i think that it's like a process and we all carry our own shame and baggage and are working on like the pain points in our life and so like if you don't have a desire to be poly you might not necessarily notice that that's an area that needs your attention until someone sort of forces you to <laughs> right I think, like you know <laughs> i like you know i it was it took a while for me to sort of figure out that it was like okay to be non-monogamous and, and or polyamorous. And I think as a gay man, I'm actually bisexual, but I came out as gay for it took me a while to figure out that I was bi. But so as like a gay man, I was like, I have to be like the right type of gay. And like they say that we're promiscuous and we can't have meaningful relationships and all of our relationships are open relationships. And so I have to like be monogamous and mm. go to church and get married and have 2.5 kids so that I can like prove my goodness. Mm -hmm. And like the lie is that you can never be good enough. Good to, enough. Like, so like mm. why, why try? Um, but I, I see, you know, with secular queer folks, sometimes they're like, okay with the queer thing, but like not with the poly thing. And so it, it takes some work still. Can I just back up for a second and ask like, you said that in the Bible, there's a lot more instances where it's okay to be polyamorous or non-monogamous or polygamous or something, but less okay to be queer or to be gay. But I only recall in my short time of reading the Bible, <laughs> that one passage in Leviticus where they were talking about how it's not okay to lie a man with a man. And are, is there more on no, it later I, on? So it's like, it's tricky because like homosexuality as like an identity concept just like didn't exist 3,000, 2,000 years ago. Uh, and so we have 
like there's a few other passages in the Bible that folks point to to be like, this is why you can't be gay. There's like seven passages. They're called the clobber passages. Um, oh, we're and, about to talk about that. Well, yeah. so let's let's combine <laughs> yeah. that into one question. So just real yeah. quick okay. side note here that Emily has a question on our document here to ask about the clobber passages and like what those are. But I, but part of it was what the heck is it? Because I didn't know what it was, but you just said it. So, so why don't you tell yeah. us what it is? And then... Yeah, talk about like queerness in the Bible and these clobber passages, what exactly that is and what it encapsulates. Sure. So there's seven passages that <clears throat> traditionally anti-LGBTQ Christians point to to say that like homosexuality is a sin. And like obviously in all of this, no one's talking about trans stuff. There's like maybe just a, there's like two maybe passages um, that folks point to to say like this is why you shouldn't be trans. And like Shay wrote a whole article about sort of that for on our website um, a few years ago but so it's like the story of adam and eve the story of sodom and gomorrah that passage that you're referring to in leviticus that says like a man shall not lie with a man as with a woman it's an abomination um romans one which is this like a letter from paul to the romans that's like sort of weird and the, this, this particular part of the passage is kind of weird and lots of imagery um and then this first timothy that it has these two words that like no one really knows what the meanings are, but Christians, conservative Christians say that it means being gay. Huh. <laughs> um, huh. And so I think. Wow, you just rattled those off. I'm very <clears throat> impressed. <laughs> you know, like when you like think that you might be going to hell because of this, like you spent a lot of time. But I thought the, so the trick is, is I spent many years like trying to read these passages like over and over and over and over again and if i could just like find the right translation or the right analysis i would like it would all click and it would like be okay to be gay and then like that point just like never came because there's always like a counterpoint and a counterpoint to the counterpoint mm. and so you just like get stuck on these like seven passages and so the reason why we started queertheology.com is to say like there's so much more to being queer than just always defending ourselves against what we're not and we get stuck sort of like in the oppressor's game when we always only focus on on these things. And so a more faithful way to look at the Bible is to like zoom out and say like, what is, how do like queerness and Christianity go together just sort of in general? And like, what does queerness have to add to this conversation? And I see like a, a, a similar path happening with polyamory that it can be really tempting to be like, show me in the Bible where it says it's okay to be polyamorous or like show me in the Bible where it says it's not okay to be polyamorous um, and like, it's like not always helpful because it was a completely different culture. And so when we're talking about like a man marrying like multiple women that like seems to be condoned by God and society, like sure, but also like what's happening with consent there and do they really have agency? Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's like slaves or concubines happening there. Um, and so it's just like a different time and place and we have to, it's like tempting to get stuck in the details and lose sight of like the bigger picture and like what was like the significance of all of that in that time and in that place. And that's like, maybe not as like snappy and soundbitey and sexy, but it's, I think, uh, important work. And More so, important. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting that you frame it as sexy. Cause I was going to frame it as just, I, I think there's, there's a little bit of almost a sadness in the sense that as human beings, we're so desperate for things to just be freaking clear for once mm -hmm. like can you just for once tell me clearly what's right what's wrong is it okay to be gay is it not okay to be gay is it okay to be non-monogamous <clears throat> is it not can you just point me somewhere so that it's clear so i don't have to 
think about it and worry about it. And there's just so few avenues of life that actually give us clarity about anything, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. We get messages all the time, email, social media, (laughs) Tumblr, that's like, is it okay to be polyamorous? Like, is it okay to be gay? Is it okay to masturbate? Like, is it okay to watch porn? Like, and my, um, one of my like recent partners who grew up atheist also was like, people message you on Tumblr asking it's, it's okay. (laughs) But they're on Tumblr. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely this human desire for like black and white and order and meaning. And, like conservative churches, anti-gay churches, anti-poly churches, like play to that. And they say like, we have all of the answers. If you mm-hmm. just follow these rules, your life will go well. And for some people it does. And then for anyone whose life either doesn't go well, or who doesn't follow the rules, they get kicked out or shamed or shunned. And it's, it's terrible. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> it's interesting. So I've, I've heard both you and, uh, Friar Shea say basically the same thing that you just did about kind of um, why focusing on those clobber passages and just like, well, how do I then use this same sort of like analytical rule-based reading to now say that either these rules are invalid or there's other places that have rules that say it's okay, how that that's not really a helpful place to be because you're kind of... Um, playing the oppressor's game. And I thought that wording was interesting. And I've heard both of you say a variation on that. I was wondering if you could kind of like, uh, I mean, is that, that basically what you mean is like playing this game of let's define rules and, and legalize yeah. it or what? Like, yeah, I mean, I didn't come up with a concept where like Audrey Lord has this quote, like the master's tools will never just dis- like tear down the master's house. Mm. Um, but also I think especially with, queerness in the bible and those passages it's like a yes and like that passage in leviticus like is like almost certainly not actually condemning modern day queer people and you can like rigorously academically study it like and also at the end of the day that is like not fulfilling and like not life-giving to just like be stuck reading about like ancient Hebrew and like ancient Israelite cultures and that there's like a more effective, more efficient way of exploring queerness and Christianity and like seeing the goodness of queer people and queer lives um, than like trying to be an archaeologist. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. That, and also uh, like the scholarship is the same. Like it hasn't like all of those books were written 30 years ago. Like, so you can read a book on Leviticus or Romans or Corinthians that will like really go into depth and sort of like prove, if you will, it, at least in my mind, that that it those passages don't mean what uh, anti-queer people say that they mean. Hmm. And so that clearly that is not enough. Like just the scholarship being there is like not enough to like move hearts and minds and, and culture. And so, um, you know, humans are meaning making machines. So faith is a way that people look for meaning. How can we sort of like tap into that thing that's bigger than ourselves to really sort of like unlock the power of queerness rather than sort of like getting trapped in defining these passages that someone else told us describe us that like they clearly don't but like they'll just keep saying like yes it does yes it does yes it does over and over again until we're dead and so like pack up and move on (laughs) (laughs) yeah i get it that to a certain extent that just prevents that it just presents you with this insurmountable obstacle preventing you from being able to pursue 
what the good stuff might be on the other side of that. And so I know that you and Fireshare, you know, teach an entire course on this, but I'm wondering if you could give us kind of a sampling or a tasting, if you will, because it's like when you take out, you know, when you're not focusing on those clopper passages and you're not focusing on just let's build a biblically sound argument for justifying our existence, how do you feel that, you know, queerness, like what are the other things in the Bible that you found that really, you know, do kind of bring out the power of queerness, like you just said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is like an ancient practice that like, um, like, rabbis throughout the ages were like look at the text and like say like this is what it means for our time and that's like jesus in many ways was looking at like his jesus was jewish like looking at his like sacred text um and saying like this is what this means for like my time and place and so this idea that we're like engaging with a text and saying like what does this mean for me here and now and what does my experience have to like how to can that illuminate this particular passage or this story uh, or like whatever uh, is like not something that like we made up in 2019. It's been going on for millennia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think like, you know, one of the ways that we like one of the ideas about God is that like that God loves us and there's this sort of like abundance of God's love and like God is not like finite and limited. And so this, you know, I think in polyamory, that is a, a sort of same key concept, mm-hmm. right? That like, my love is like not finite and not my love for multiple partners doesn't like diminish my love for any of them. And so I think we can sort of see this, like this is like a a way that I can live out this idea of abundant, infinite love through polyamory, whereas it's okay to be monogamous, but also like sort of like forced monogamy has this idea of there's like a limited amount of love. Um, And so that's sort of like in some ways like antithetical to I think the Christian and Jewish understanding of sort of God's expansive love for us. So there are still a lot of objections out there to non-monogamy and the Bible. And I think that some things that at least that I've seen in my very like brief reading, which I'm only up to Deuteronomy at this point, but there are like Adam and Eve were only two people (laughs) and they created all of humanity. And then also this idea of like, to becoming one flesh. That's yeah. a Spice Girls and song, like, right? Yeah. <laughs> Is it? So, when to yeah, become like it, one. You know. Uh-huh. I don't know if they say one flesh, but yeah, yeah okay, maybe I not. guess it is. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, so those are like some common, common objections to non-monogamy. So what would you say about that, for instance, if people I, like throw things like that out there? then would you be like, well, actually? I love this idea of two becoming one flesh. I actually wrote an article a few years ago called like what promiscuity taught me about God's love, Mm. (laughs) Um, uh, which was sort of like, I I I was starting to put together like these ideas on promiscuity and sex positivity and and non-monogamy and that then became this course. But so I think like that's, like true or or like can be true or can be like this beautiful thing that like you like merge with someone else and like not Mm -hmm. in a like you like lose yourself but that you create like you create something new there's like me and my boyfriend and then like our relationship is this other thing that we've like created by the sort of 
mystical magic of our <laughs> like beings coming together your love yeah 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 um and so like that's like real you know i think also about like so there's this like metaphor with this to become one that we learn in bible like sunday school which is like sex is kind of like duct tape and if you like <laughs> stick it on something and then you like rip it off like, like it hurts when you rip it off and then like little pieces of skin and hair get left behind and no, like, emily this is literally <laughs> an object lesson that yeah. sunday school teacher will use well they will like stick tape to multiple people uh-huh. and it's usually essentially equate women like women with bit. a piece of tape usually or a piece of chewed up gum chewed that's up another gum, common yeah. mm-hmm. i'm sorry object that lesson. is child abuse that is not okay <laughs> yeah all, like all over the country all different denominations people are so sticking tape on kids yep. <laughs> and tearing so, like, it off <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah and it, it teaches you like on a fundamental level like like, I'm a chewed up piece of gum is like, Ugh. what a terrible thing to teach a child, right? Yeah. So the idea is that like, you're eventually you're like, your sex tape becomes less like sticky, and then it doesn't work anymore. And then like, you're sort of fundamentally broken. And like, that's you ruined your life because you had sex with too many people. That. Really terrible, right? But like, I think that you can sort of like reclaim this metaphor because not that the, the tape ever stops being sticky, but that like, I think that all of the people that I've ever dated have like left little bits and pieces of their part behind of themselves, like behind on me and I carry them around with me. And I hope that I've left a little bit of piece of myself with them behind. Mm. And that's true, like for, for boyfriends. Um, but it's also been true for just like, you know, kinky hookups or play partners or casual dates or even like one night stands sometimes i for this we have a digital a digital magazine called spit and spirit and i wrote for our sex and bodies issue like a prayer for a one night stand and that like there can be something like beautiful and wonderful about Mm. a one night stand even that like you're vulnerable and you trust each other and like you're intimate and you're you're taking care of each other that there's like something really beautiful can happen there also and so this idea that like a like it's only special quote unquote Mm. if it's with a long-term partner i think is not true in my experience and then also that like you have that you like run out of stuff to leave behind if you if you have sex with more than one person it's just like not not real for me it's been like an additive thing that like my life has become enriched by the people that i've either dated or hooked up with and that's not to say that like sometimes sex is coercive or bad and i've had my fair share of like really terrible (laughs) sexual experiences also Mm -hmm. so i don't want to be like sex is always this like beautiful Mm -hmm. divine thing i'm sure like it can be like sex with your spouse can be sacred and like blowing a stranger in a glory hole can also be (laughs) like sacred and i'd argue on the other side that having sex with your spouse can also be coercive and shitty so yeah. you know they yeah, both and, both and can go both ways <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah <clears throat> yeah That's, yeah yeah no, go ahead James. <laughs> no i just i think i solved the tape metaphor oh so, you solved it yeah okay so like you were saying you know this this tape that but the the problem with their metaphor is that you know then your tape gets less sticky but mm-hmm. If you're using that, you know, like vinyl bondage tape, you know, that only sticks to yeah. itself, uh-huh. then you <laughs> can keep, go. then it doesn't lose its stickiness. <laughs> anyway, that's okay. Yeah. Go ahead. So no, you, can cre- you can create a program to try to I introduce, you know, bondage tape into yeah. Sunday schools, schools yeah. across oh, the land. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, so, okay. That sentiment of, 
you know, that this can be sacred regardless of the type of sex that you're having. Um, it does echo stuff that we talked about with our guest a couple of years ago, Jessica Graham. Um, you know, she wrote a book that was about mindfulness meditation, you know, slightly more from a Buddhist perspective. Um, uh, but she also writes a lot about kind of the intersection of spirituality and sex and came to a lot of the same conclusions of, you know, a weird kinky hookup in an alleyway with, with someone that you just met and get, let's kind of presume everyone's making the best, healthiest, safest choices. Um, you know, that, that can also be a spiritual experience. And, you know, she shared with me getting so much resistance over saying things like that. And I just think that like, there is this huge cultural resistance to this idea that any kind of casual sex can be sacred whatsoever. Hmm. Even if you're totally divorced of any kind of spirituality, I I think that Mm -hmm. even on a, just a, just a plain old cultural level, you know, what's baked into the casual sex experience is like, none of this can be serious because, oh goodness, you're such a weirdo. If you're taking this seriously, we have to be completely devoid of any kind of emotions or engagement or investment in this, it's purely just about having sex and then, you know, not texting each other or whatever. Yeah. And if we have a casual hookup, then you're no now no longer like long-term partner material for some reason. Mm, yeah. Right, it's such a strange right. script that we've been trained to follow for these things. Yeah. yeah I think that's that, super unfortunate. Th- that like that is true, I think, of that's something something that like queer people internalize this sort of like right way to be queer and is this i think when you're uh, like even straight cis mono people (laughs) when they're single like have to have to navigate this and i think it just like compounds if you're trying to be open or poly um if you're queer if your openness or polyness involves casual sex and not just like multiple long-term relationships you know that there's it's like okay well i can like i've even gotten from like the christian a polymer course like well i can understand like if you're in a triad or if you have these sort of like multiple long-term like loving partnerships like that is okay Mm -hmm. but like I don't know, like the Trinity being an orgy, like what are you talking about? <laughs> um, it sort of like blows people's mind. And so, and I think that like our culture is super, super sex negative, whether, you know, you were saying at the beginning of this yeah. episode that like Christianity in particular just sort of like permeates like everything. And this like sex negative, anti-queer, puritanical version of Christianity permeates everything. And so even people that never grew up Christian or are no longer identified with Christian oftentimes have this like religious baggage to sort of unpack. Right. Mm. Um, gosh, I, like, okay. Uh, can I rewind back to like earlier on in this conversation? Um, something that like, okay. in the idea of like saying, okay, I've, I've figured out how to reconcile being gay or being queer or something, but not non-monogamy or things like that. Or saying uh, that idea that, okay, if I'm going to be Christian and gay or just gay in general, I want to try to prove everyone wrong about all their stereotypes about me. So I'm going to try to go really hard the opposite way of being super monogamous, super marriage-based, super kid-focused, whatever it is. And I think that with, like, I've definitely seen in ourselves and also in our community that same thing with polyamory of this, like let's try to fight against this image that we're all 
that none of our relationships are serious. And so we're going to treat all of them super seriously and kind of not, not allow relationships to be casual when maybe that would have been the healthier way for them to be or other things like that. Um, and I, I guess it's just, it's making me think about with all of this, this, this tricky thing between it's like, how do you show people that all polyamorous people are not this one way or that all gay people are not this one way while also leaving room for, but even if they are those things, that's also okay. And that's hard. Like that's a hard message to sell. It's not a very sexy message to sell. It's, you know, harder to put that on a postcard. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like Like you can't sound bites. Yeah. Like your slogan, like love wins cool, great. Now everyone can be monogamously married as opposed to like love wins, but so does casual sex. That's a harder (laughs) postcard to make. Yeah. I mean, so like, I think there's like this idea that it, that like sometimes called respectability politics, that if we can just sort of like brush up enough that like they'll like us enough. You know, I think black folks Mm. started it with this idea of like, we have to like wear suits and be proper. Um, and like sort of like incremental, like, well, first we'll let like the gays get married. And then like, maybe we'll start talking about bi folks. And then after that, we can start talking about trans people. It's sort of like the, like start with like the most least, 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 least offensive quote unquote, least offensive, like idea or identity and, and sort of work from there. And we've just seen that, like that, like, isn't effective that you know after gay marriage passed in massachusetts like they lost tons of funding around lgbt issues i think like lgbt homeless shelters had to shut down like the the focus goes elsewhere that like Mm. rich white cis gays who want to get monogamously married like aren't coming back for Mm. like trans people of color (laughs) Um, and so like but on the flip side of that like you know i forget who said it but like this idea that like none of us are free until all of us are free and that sort of a rising tide lifts all ships that a more effective, efficient way of sort of addressing our organizing and our activism is to try and like cut at those both like cultural stigmas themselves and say like, why do these exist? And also like work to change like structural policy that stands in the way so that we can all like live a more like free and and, independent life. And I, I, I wish that, the like the lesbian and gay movement rather than focusing on like gay marriage had Mm -hmm. said like we like need to like radically redefine what family means and queer folks Mm -hmm. have been defining family outside of the purview of the state forever because we haven't been allowed to access this and like rather than fighting to be allowed into this sort of traditionally Mm -hmm. oppressive traditionally patriarchal Mm -hmm. system that like doles out rights based upon like respectability and says like you're in and you're not we had said like no like we know how to form family we take care of each other like lesbians taking care of gay men as as they were dying of aids in the 80s and queer chosen family and this sort of like fluidity amongst like lovers and friends and partners and parents that's just like this like i think queer folks have this like beautiful gift to offer and it frustrates me that some people pointed all that energy towards um gay marriage because i think like if marriage is going to exist obviously gay people should be able to get married like and Mm -hmm. also like there's something like more beautiful and revolutionary that we have to offer the world and it thankfully queer folks are still like organizing around that and trying 
to share that and I think more so and more so beginning to like merge with like poly and non-monogamous folks that are also mm. doing that work from sort of a different perspective and mm. yeah. like who knows what the future holds but I think that like that's where I would like to see it go. <laughs> well, yeah. it it reminds me, this was something that I was not aware of until only in the retrospect did I become aware of this, that, you know, around 2015 and leading up to 2015, when gay marriage was legalized, that there were quite a number of queer voices who were speaking up about like, actually, I don't want marriage to be the thing, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I want it to be something else. We need to be pushing for something else. It's not about, like you said, kind of getting admitted to this exclusive club that's still very patriarchal and has all this baggage. And I remember at that time, you know, it seems like the mainstream wasn't really focusing a lot of those voices because they don't fit into this kind of convenient, right. at least, okay, from a very more, from a more liberal leftist perspective, it doesn't fit into this convenient, like, well, if you're detracting gay marriage, you're a bad person. And if you're pro-gay marriage, you're a good person. It fits into this weird in-between of like, oh, wait, you're pro-gay rights, but but you don't necessarily think that we should just be pouring all our energy into gay marriage. And I've put myself in the hypothetical of, because at some at some point, someone's going to actually try to push for non-monogamous marriage. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's actually realistically going to be, be a thing that happens or is successful, but at some point, someone's going to push for it. There's going to be some kind of media coverage on it. And I know that where I stand, where I feel is I'm like, hell no, like I don't, like this is not what I want to be pushing for, you know? Mm. Again, that same feeling of, yes, I think that maybe sure if someone who is non-monogamous wants to get married, they should be able to access that, but but I don't want this to be the thing. And realizing there is a weird discomfort there in kind of being perceived as maybe quote unquote part of the problem, depriving people of rights rather than part of a force trying to just redirect attention and energy to maybe something that is more important and powerful and beautiful, like things like chosen families that queer communities have been essentially mastering for decades. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Yeah, absolutely. I think like we should all have healthcare because we deserve healthcare. <laughs> we should be able to like, yeah. form the families Amen. that we want to form. <laughs> and you know, I think this is to bring it back to Christianity for a second, that 
my understanding of Christianity and of the Hebrew Bible is there's this like a really like powerful critique of empire and the state throughout the Hebrew and the Christian Bible. And so like, I think all, I, from a Christian perspective, you can also say like pouring all of this like energy into assimilating into like the state and the empire is like not necessarily a helpful or a smart move. And so I think that, you know, there's... It's not very Christ-like Christ when you think yeah, about exactly. it. Like the, yeah. Jesus was executed by the Roman Empire as like a prisoner of the state for being like a political insurrectionist, right? And so that's like that context. And so yeah. it, like that's like fucking awesome. Uh, and I think like like Jesus like was probably not polyamorous in the way that we understand polyamory today but i think like a lot of the ideals that jesus was like working around in terms of healing people and standing up against the state and creating this sort of like unconventional family of sorts and befriending women who were caught in sexual scandal or accused at least of sexual scandal right um, I made this video called Jesus of Polyamorous, which really pissed off. Well, yes, I was about to, I was we about to, ask about we're, not, um, we're not like <laughs> a gotcha kind of show, but I was about to gotcha and be like, wait, but you made a video that said that Jesus was polyamorous and pansexual and everyone loved it and no one disagreed with you, right? <laughs> everyone loved it. <laughs> like, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that video and, and the reaction to it. Yeah. So I think like this particular video is looking at this it's just like with this one particular passage um, in Ephesians where the the writers of Ephesians is talking about Christ's relationship to the church uh, as sort of like analogous to like a, a, a marriage relationship, like a, a man's marriage to a woman. Um, and also like elsewhere in the book, the author talks about how like the church is comprised of like the whole body of believers. So it's like, it's all these people and Jesus is sort of metaphysically married <laughs> to the church, which conservative Christians would say like, well, the church is like one single entity, but, and also it's clearly not. So I, that, so I think like, I think people got hung up on me saying like, Jesus like was polyamorous as sort of like mm. as like a historical reality whereas what i was saying is like jesus or christ as this theological figure like is polyamorous um and i think that's like a, a like a distinction like jesus you could also make the claim that like jesus is asexual or jesus is is gay or jesus is like trans um if you if that like sort of like resonates with you you know jesus was the, the narrative like the the story goes right like born of this virgin mary a virgin mary so like didn't have a father so like therefore like no y chromosome so then like only xx mm. chromosomes so jesus is in some way like <laughs> gender non-conforming or trans or intersex right like so if that is something that speaks to you great like but also jesus if he was a person had like two human parents, <laughs> like, like there's this, all this myth like that, like, and the, the writers of the Bible like know what they're doing, right? Like Jesus is Lord is a, a saying that appears in the Bible. Right. And it's because at the time the Roman emperor was just like, Caesar is Lord is sort mm. of like the political saying of the day. And so to mm. say Jesus is Lord means like, and therefore Caesar is not. So it was this sort of like treasonous political claim, just as much as it was a theological claim. And so wow. playing with language, 
um, and making these like claims about Jesus to say like, this is why Jesus is important. And this is like where the heart of God is on this matter is sort of what what Christians have always done. And so mm. we, I was doing that. We were doing that to say like, this is where the heart of God is, is sort of like with poly folks and, and this sort of like abundant, expansive love and connection. Right. But yeah. in kind of a pokey way. <laughs> Like like the writers of the Bible, you knew what you were doing and uh, yeah, being yeah. a little dissenting. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah. Sorry. So so there was this this one particular article that uh, was was fed to my news feed um, that was a response to your video. Uh, uh-huh. I'm I'm sure you. Well, actually, I don't know if you read stuff like that, but. I'm not going to read it to I you. I read some of them, but there was a lot. There was a lot, I'm sure, yeah. So one thing, though, that was interesting about this is, so, you know, he's kind of like going through line by line and making arguments and whatever. But this is one particular quote from the author of this article that said, quote, if you call yourself a Christian and believe every word of the Bible to be true, integrating polyamory with your faith is like trying to mix oil and water together. And what was funny is I read that and I was like, I think Brian would agree with you. If you believe all of these words are literally <laughs> true, then maybe yes. And I think that's huh. that kind of, to me at least, touched on the core thing that changed for me in my relationship to the Bible when I first started looking into it in college was, for me, it started with coming from a place of translation and realizing that most of this is translations of translations. This is before even getting into the fact that there have been political reasons for things being added or edited out over the, right. you know, hundreds of years or thousands of years that these different texts have been around. Um, but it, it kind of, to me, that sort of struck on a core point of it. And it seems like you were saying something very similar, actually, that it's like the difference between looking at it as a literal rule book versus looking at what was actually happening in context. Yeah, to take the Bible seriously and faithfully, you can't take it literally. And also, like, it doesn't want to be taken literally. And, the like, every word of the Bible can't actually be true because the Bible contradicts itself in places. Yeah, a lot. And, like, especially you're going through this. Like, you've seen it. Like, the first two chapters of Genesis are, like, contradictory, like, mm-hmm. incompatible accounts of creation, mm-hmm. right? They're just, like, different. And, like, that's okay because it's, like, they're not trying to write a science textbook. The authors of the Bible aren't trying to write a guide to sex and dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, like, not <laughs> a guide bad. to sex and dating in, in, like, the third millennia, right? So, yeah, I think that, like, it's not about saying, like, I have to, like, justify every single part of this thing. It's, like, what is this... Like, what is, what's happening here? What's, what's trying to be said here? Like, how does that fit? And like, we also have to like recognize that like they didn't know about physics necessarily or astronomy or (laughs) biology um, and they weren't necessarily trying to. And so like, I think conservative Christians sometimes say like, this is our rule book. I was told that the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving oh, earth. And it's gosh, this, that like, freaking acronym. <laughs> like, right. What is it? Just, what is it? Basic instructions before leaving earth. And that the Ten Commandments. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Emily's <laughs> face. 
<laughs> Whoa, that's a uh, lot. I, I cannot roll my last, eyes harder. <laughs> Not because I think it's necessarily a bad acronym. It was just, yeah, Wait, it's just so tired out. Oh, it's for Bible. Oh my okay. goodness, Emily. <laughs> Jeez, Emily. What did you think it was? I thought it for a minute it was bibs, and then I was like, no, it's not. It's Bible. That's, I'm so sorry. I've had a glass of wine. We're getting ready for drunk Bible study. It's been a long day. Oh, boy. All right. Wow. But okay, yeah, okay. Sorry, please continue. That's, that's a thing. So I think, like, going back to what y'all were saying earlier, that, like, people want sort of a rule book. They want to say, like, tell me, like, what is good and what is okay. Um, and so, like, they just say, like, this is this is what it means, this is what it means, this is what it means. And that's, in some ways, easier than sort of, like, diving into, like, when was this written? Like, I know that it says it was written by Moses, but actually it was probably written in, like, B.C. 700 and, like, who was it written to? And, like, as Jace was saying, like, what did they leave out? Like, that's all much more – it's like reading Shakespeare, right? Like, if you just, like, read Shakespeare in 10th grade English class, like, not exactly knowing what's going on, you, like, don't realize that he's, like, cracking smutty jokes or that he's, like, taking mm-hmm. a jab at the the monarchy. And it's, like, similar that to that in – with the Bible and – Certain types of Christians have said, like, all you have to do is just read the Bible and you don't have to worry about that and we'll tell you what it means. Um, And so, like, we're saying, like, well, they have a perspective and they have uh, a bias and an agenda. And, you know, we say, like, we're queer theology and there's Christianity and polyamory and there's black liberation theology. But, like, very rarely does someone say, like, I'm a, like like rich white male theology and that's what i'm doing like i'm a i'm like doing like patriarchal <laughs> theology right now but that's that that's what's happening we're also mm. like looking at this text and like wrestling with it and trying to figure out like what does it mean and how does it apply to our lives and i think the more you study it seriously the more that you can see it as a sort of like book or a collection of books written by oppressed people for oppressed people to give them like hope and encouragement to like survive and thrive and like fight the good fight to kind of go along those lines for our listeners or non-monogamous or otherwise listeners are there historical things that one should think about when reading the bible and specifically also like if the bible is being used against queer and non-monogamous folk then like what are historical things that people can think about when reading it Sure. Well, we're teaching a whole course on how to do I'm assuming, right yeah, now. just like a couple. I don't know. Yeah, so a I few. Think the, I think where I always start with is like, you like don't even necessarily have to do that. That like you are just like good and whole as you are. And you like don't need this Bible to tell you that. And if the messages that you're receiving from Christianity are like not life giving to you and you have too much trauma and it like doesn't feel good and is not serving you, like it's okay to leave that behind. And in the same way that like you don't have to be a good gay person by getting married or a good poly person by having long term relationships, like you don't have to be a good poly christian by like staying christian or a a good gay christian by staying christian like if it's just Mm. shit just like move on and like that's okay and i think that (laughs) jesus would be okay with that also Mm. um but so like one of the passages that i go to a lot is um in matthew 7 i think um where jesus is talking about you can judge yeah emily's like sure (laughs) (laughs) i believe you you've done a really amazing job like rattling (laughs) off these things (laughs) 
so Jesus is like giving this parable or, or, or speech or whatever. And he's saying that you can, you can, people are going to come like proclaiming the, like to, to like proclaim the gospel saying to speak for me and how you can decipher whether or not like what they're saying is actually like of me or of God is that you can judge a tree by, by its fruit. And like a good tree is like going to bear good fruit and a bad tree is going to bear bad fruit. And so if you look at theology that is like anti anti-LGBT or like anti-poly or anti-women, you can like then look at the fruits of that and see that people are like depression, anxiety, fracturing relationships, like oppression, rape, like all of these like bad fruits stem from this like bad theology. Whereas if you like mm. look at affirming theology, whether that's LGBT affirming or poly affirming theology, you can like see the good fruits of that. Um, and so like, Jesus wasn't like, what you have to do is get a like doctorate in religion and learn <laughs> Greek and Hebrew and become, like, a, become a Republican. <laughs> oh, right. Become a Republican and like assent to this like set of theoretical beliefs and say that you're not having sex until marriage, but you probably are anyways, but you feel bad about it. And like then that's how you inherit eternal life jesus is like i've come to proclaim like release for the prisoners and healing of sight for the blind and to set the captives free and like we're gonna like bring in the year of the lord's favor of canceling debts and like really fucking shit up in a good way and so <laughs> jesus was like come and follow me and like do this work of like building a better world and so um if you're like interested in like there's all sorts of books that you can read and I can give you some links to put in the show notes if you want. But like, I think first and foremost, it's like, if you're like doing the work of building a better world, you're like doing the work of God as like the Hebrew and the Christian Bibles describe it. And so that right there is enough and you don't have to always have an academic justification for your inherent goodness. So That's sweet. really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I know. That was very moving. Um, <laughs> also, yeah. I really. You yeah. were correct. It's Matthew 7 15, is what you were looking for. Oh, Thank you. Good, Jace. I checked Thank to make you. sure. Good. Yeah, I heard like a little dog running across something, but I think it was just Jace's fingers <laughs> on the type, keyboard. Type, type, tapping. Yeah. yeah, I was like, just making dog sure that you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like us closing on that note of let's fuck shit up, but in a good way. So, <laughs> yeah. Brian. Thank you so much for being with us. Where can our listeners find more of you and more of your work? Uh, you can find me on all the social medias at this is BGM and this is BGM.com. Um, and my YouTube is not that. So it's this is BGM.com slash YouTube. Great. Excellent. Cool. And then and if then... people are interested in the queer theology course as well, they can go to queertheology.com, correct? Yeah, queertheology.com. Okay. And that will link to all of our courses and all of our social media and our various sort of free resources as well right yeah and by the time this episode comes out i will just be finishing the reading the bible course which i'm in the middle of when we're recording this but by the time this comes out it'll be ending wait uh, does that mean that you've read the whole thing again no no actually no so the in this course this particular one you end up each person picks just one section of the bible like one one chapter or one section of verses that you study oh. through the whole thing um, that's okay. this, this particular one, that's kind of what they're doing to more teach tools to look at the Bible rather than like, we're going to teach you how to understand the Bible. Kind of, kind of like Brian's yeah. been saying this whole time, right? It's not <laughs> so much like about, so we're going to give you the answers, but like, we're going to teach you how to think about the Bible. Love it. 
Yeah. So um, for our patrons out there, we're going to be hanging out with Brian a little bit more uh, and talking a little bit more personally about the experience of being polyamorous and being bisexual and some of those resources and also some more about Brian's YouTube channel and stuff like that. So if you want to check that out, uh, if you're a patron, you can already get that through your private RSS feed. Or if you're interested, go become a patron at patreon.com slash multiamory. Also, to all of you listeners out there, we would love to hear your thoughts about this. What's your relationship with theology been? Did anything happen in this episode that blew your mind? Or do you just want a place to share how angry and pissed off you are that we even covered this topic at all? All of those, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com, leave us a voicemail at 678-MULTI-05, or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.